Hello and welcome to AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Before we get to this final episode of season four, please make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast. We appreciate the support. Season four of the podcast has been exploring effective strategies for engaging HCPs via social and multimedia. In this final episode of the season, I'll be chatting with medical marketers knee-deep in social strategy and innovation. My first guest today is Amy Hauk, the Digital Media Director at Pascal Communications. Amy uses her 13 years of digital marketing experience to create targeted paid media plans for healthcare brands. Amy recently was named one of MMM's 40 Under 40 for her accomplishments in medical marketing. She's an active poet, speaker, and painter focusing on positive energy. Later in the show, Click Health's Brad Einerson joins me to discuss pharma's evolution with social media marketing and how social has become a standard line item in almost every HCP-focused campaign. So let's start the show with Amy Hauk from Pascal Communications. So Amy, the uh, pandemic cast a light on strengths and weaknesses of the healthcare system, pharmaceutical industry, and all the individuals that make those industries run. How have your social and multimedia teams weathered the pandemic with clients, personnel, new projects, innovations, all of those wonderful things? Great question. Adapting was rough at first for the brands. A lot of uh, just medical brands had to figure out how to be current in a place where they never had to be current with something like this happening. So adjusting every every aspect of campaigns that we were building from imagery to copy and realizing this need for connection because what the pandemic did was separate. It separated physicians from physicians, the peer-to-peer conversations, the conferences are out. So as we saw, you had to, we had to see the void happen. And if we saw and experienced the void, we were trying to constantly be ahead of it and inside of it, and then creating content that allowed interaction. So like using social media for what it was for, like building those uh, engagements and connections and conversations. And another thing was we pushed a lot of our brands, especially brands that had you know, comments turned off to turn them on. Like we really started, we, we've all, we're always pushers because we believe in the naturalness of like having it for engagement. You can't always win that war. But we did get a lot more of that because they understood this is a problem. We need to have interactive content to be able to bridge this gap between um, physicians, peer-to-peer or product and physician. You know, there was so much going on there, even adjusting our audiences. So like for each brand we were working with, you know, the different HCPs we were targeting, we now had a new problem because sales reps couldn't go in. So you have this education piece. So we were building out parts of our campaigns to include educational material for the sales reps to talk to the physicians. So it was like identifying all these pieces in the funnel that needed assist and then coming in with the right content and the right, you know, paid media plans to help hit like all of those different things and then measuring success. Also knowing like when to be quiet, when to share something relevant, when not, when to when to engage and, and kind of, you know, taking that minute because people got beat out too. So like having those uplifting messages were important too. And I've talked to a lot of people in this season of the podcast, including doctors themselves, and they said, you know, two things. One, the acceleration has pushed pharma and the medical industry into these new medium, not new, but into these mediums to really 
stop just dipping your toe, let's call it, into social or, or multimedia and really embrace it. But, you know, it also uh, yeah. sort of an evolution or a revolution in terms of the way HCPs were using social media during the pandemic. Yes. And I actually bring up something that um, I know we were maybe going to talk about later, but the grand rounds really made me think about it. Uh, with the evolution of last year and into this year of the new social network clubhouse, they have virtual grand rounds. So this is a club that's on there that any physician can follow and just really have their ear to the ground. Um, amazing, amazing club, amazing topics. And it literally fills the gap, you know, the podcast style, you have position to position, you have different leadership panels, and it literally makes you feel that sense of relief, like, oh my gosh, this is so close to like, what it used to be like to have these conversations, to listen in. I mean, I think everyone should be like listening into those, um, especially virtual grand rounds, but there's a lot of other clubs like that within the Clubhouse app that are really phenomenal for physicians, and we can get into that later, but that's one component I've definitely seen really assist the physicians because they need that. Um, I also saw an up physicians understanding they needed to create more content, like the misinformation, like you said, it it made them, it, it forced doctors into a place of saying, I think I need to do something. I think I need to say something. I need to make a new post. I need to actually, and you start to see this rise of I call, you know, the influencers in the medical space, just their content started evolving. What they were saying was evolving. Their, their Instagram captions were longer. They actually had a bunch of hashtags. They were doing the work to educate peers. I mean, we had this whole conversation um, a couple of weeks ago, educating doctors on how to use their social media apps properly for medical education. We were talking about you know, what do you do in this space to educate? Like, say you're educating, a, you know, residents, whatever your goal might be. Like, how are you actually using, say, Instagram or Facebook as a tool? What does it look like, you know, and, and teaching about the use of carousel posts and how you're tagging and relevance of just little things like learning your insights, your times of day. You're dealing with physicians and future physicians, you know, their schedules are crazy. So you need to make sure that you're posting, you know, content at times of seeing it a lot of times. And I mean, I'm sure you've, you've probably heard this before, but like in the physician space, they don't always love ads. So there's this, there's a stigma around advertising and seeing the word sponsored can be a turnoff to a physician sometimes. And so you're battling this archaic thinking because they're thinking, why well, I don't want to, I don't want to run any ads for my practice or my educational content. And I'm over here saying you have to because you're trying to reach this niche group of HCPs or residents and you can you know, target them down to the job title and you're not because you're scared of the stigma, but if it's authentic content being put in someone's feed and they're seeing it, then they're going to find your medical education content. So it was a really fun chat with a, a good group of physician friends of mine and a lot of great banter, but I think a lot of them left thinking, I, I need to think about doing this versus that stigma of like, oh no, no paid media. You touched on a topic I was going to ask about a little bit later, but let's jump into it. You mentioned influencers. Have your clients embraced the power of social influencers? And if so, how are you identifying, partnering, nurturing these high worth individuals? That's a great question. And yes, so we built an influencer marketing program that we kind of like the program, I would call it. And we run it for all different kinds of clients. Um, 
the first part of it is the identification. And that actually takes months because we watch them. So we're looking at uh, like the vetting criteria. So, it, you know, if anyone's like listening to this, that is a position and they're thinking, what do I have to do to be more relevant? We're looking at um, not just how many followers you have, but like how many likes you have on a post, how engaging is that conversation thread? Do you have a lot of other peers on there? Um, how consistently are you posting content? Um, honestly, we look at like how off-label use is, competitor products, depending on the brand. And that's going to happen, but like, you know, so that shouldn't limit a physician. You know, they can always archive a post or take something down if they need to. Um, like, by all means, speak about your products. But we're looking at how they're representing the products. Um, are they aware of um, just some of the disclosures and whatnot, depending on how they're doing things? Um, what, what are they sharing? Also, location is a big one. Um, their impact outside of social. So looking at like how engaging they are, like on Google, in the news and press, like what all are they working on and doing? So we look at all of that and we do look at like quality of content, like whether it's videos or static images, are they, if you can find an influencer in the medical space that is taking advantage of trends, do also on TikTok, also doing reels. I have one person on my team that literally stalks physicians on TikTok to find who is relevant, doing what, when, where, why. And so we're, 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 we're watching and everyone else is looking too. I mean, we're probably watching a little bit more closely, but we, we make these master lists and then we go through and we vet them based on, you know, the industry, whatever it is. From there, once the influencer is like identified to give you like a little baby walk through the program and they get the buy-in from the client and the approvals that, that we can, you know, go after them to message them, let them know this is what we want to do with, you know, the X product, the program. Um, the funnest part is our team, we build out these concepts of what we would love for them to do. And it's really creative and it's so fun. And it's, we do it on video like this. So we get them on the call and we're like, here's what our plan is, like super like radical transparency style. And we, we previously have all of this approved through medical legal, of course. but to show them. And it's so much fun because they get to get excited about it. And we're now helping influencers that had pretty good content make great content, like animations, cool stuff, like things that they don't always have time to do. And that's so fun because we get to post it on, you know, the brand channels, the influencers channels, we build it out, we set calendars, and we have this master, you know, cadence of how things go and overlap based on insights and data. Everything's based on real-time data. Nothing's just like, well, it's Wednesday at 2 p.m. Everything's like optimal times. It's looked at every 24 hours. We know what's going out when. We're utilizing like the algorithms on every social network for the influencers to help really make their content make an impact. Interesting insight I have seen repetitively when content is posted on a, on a, any healthcare brands channels and then on influencers channels, I see that the majority of like link clicks, clicks into the product or the seminar or whatever actually come from the brand channels. Whereas like a lot of the engagements come from the influencers channels. And you would probably think that the influencers channel would also be a large driver of that traffic. It's not always, but it's a great driver of the engagement and the awareness, which is interesting. And, you know, I've measured it many ways and I, and I keep seeing this over and over again. So this is why it's so important for the brands to not just think about, okay, I want influencers to push content. They need to make sure the content's on their channels too. They need to find a path to do it like both ways. Next step from that is, um, you know, 
those in medical marketing know that some specialties are much more engaged and it's not just age specific. Yeah. Um, Doximity, I think, said that the average age of their user is 35, mm-hmm. which most people would have probably thought was 29. You know, so, um, but you know, who amongst the HCPs, from your experience, are the earlier, are the early adopters of social? And I say multimedia. I mean, those two things are almost inter- interchangeable now in terms of you know, with with the visual mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of demographics or subspecialty. Yeah. Here's an example. Here's an example. We know dermatologists are more yep. outgoing. Absolutely right. So like derm is first and derm's been first. Like derm was first. The way that they're doing it was first, whether it was for a practice, individual aesthetics was first. So aesthetics was making a really big impact. Then we have coming up behind it, like the ophthalmology and optometry space. Like they're becoming like heavy hitters. They're extremely active. They're educating peers. Then And they're doing like a, some of the live videos, like some of the more graphic content. Um, it's coming away from like some of their Facebook groups into some of their Instagrams and then their TikToks. They want to educate patients. So they've got this vision. Um, Orthodox, I'm starting to see so exciting, finally. Like they're on the rise. And I'm watching them come from the old world of like Twitter into Instagram, into TikTok. And some of it's just gruesome. I love watching it. But they're doing all this educational content and it's amazing. And you'll go to like their legacy Twitter and it's got like one tweet from like 2018. Then you go to their Instagram, it's like 40,000 followers, like hundreds of thousands of likes per post and they're just rocking it. Cardio docs. So I've seen that in ortho. Like I tell everyone if they're in the ortho space, like your product has to be on Instagram, like this crazy sauce if it's not. Um, cardio and derm, TikTok, you know, uh, Instagram, Instagram Reels, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, cardio, LinkedIn, still legacy place for cardio. Like anyone in the cardiovascular line, um, definitely LinkedIn. But I am seeing more and more and more on Instagram too. Um, I don't want to give any direct shout outs, but there's like some really great doctors that I love in the cardio space on IG, just killing it. And we've had conversations about the evolution of their brand one-on-one. And it was really just, they got on Instagram to help their peers consistently create content. And then now they do both. So they're doing patient education and cardio education, like kind of back and forth on their instas. So I like seeing that. I, I know some of them are on TikTok too, but I do like where it's at on Instagram and all of them are growing on Clubhouse. This is just keeps happening. I'm like watching this evolution of these tiny breakout rooms all the time you know by subspecialty and we're starting to get there on clubhouse it's starting to get there like um it wasn't like that at first if you were like an early user of clubhouse it wasn't like that it wasn't at the subspecialty level not at all but now it's like starting to and the rooms are small you might have six or seven doctors you know but it's interesting so that's some of what i've seen so far i am seeing constantly like the pull away from twitter um content just they're trying. Twitter's trying. They got the room. Some people still use it for news and media, but I'm seeing more and more and more of the pull away. And they, we still have a lot of physicians that are only comfortable with LinkedIn. They still don't understand like why they need to be on Instagram or Facebook. And Instagram to them is like for this young user. And we always have to pull data about like the age groups of different people on different networks because they're not thinking like of the millions, hundreds of millions of users that actually matter. Um, in that category on Instagram. So fence, but Twitter is kind of like your, your grandfather's Oldsmobile, right? And unless you're a political wonk, 
for you're right. It, it and like it's not that I will say you know just forget about it altogether, but it has a place and it's for exactly that, that microsecond information. Like when something happens and it's immediate and you like there's a hashtag or something around it, you go ahead and get on Twitter, like be a part of that moment and then back out of it because that's what it is. It's like for that moment and making sure you have just that relevant footprint. If, if it's going to exist, it needs to be um, updated. And that's what bothers me so much is people don't update it. They leave it sit there. And that just looks like a, exactly a broken down car sitting in front of your house, like either get rid of it or update it, or just, you know, use a program like Sprout Social and organize all of your content. So you at least have something going out once in a while. A couple of quick hitters. What's the biggest, uh, what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? iOS 14.5 coming out now. So the, it just came, everyone's been talking about it. It did beta last month and then it went through developers beta and now it's, it's going to be rolling. So what that's going to mean is users are going to get um, prompted like to opt in to be followed. So this is, Facebook's already ahead of the curve. I mean, they always do this. But here's one of the challenges that, I mean, we're on top of it, but I don't know if everyone's going to be on top of it. Because of the new updates, right? Every single solitary brand that's running ads anywhere need to have domain safety on. Um, what that means is there's a string of code that has to get entered into a client website practice, whatever, if you're running Facebook, Instagram ads, all that jazz that identifies that like your account owns, you know, that website, they're associated with each other. Um, and if you don't have that on, you can't use uh, events. So like pixel events, retargeting, who's clicking what on your website, you can't, you, you cannot utilize them because anyone that's opted out, it's gone, done, nixed. You can't follow them. So this, this, this hurts. And I, I hate even to use the word followed because people feel like they're being followed all the time. And they're like, I don't want to be followed. But honestly, like as an advertiser, of course, I'm going to say this, but like, yes, you do. You want those discounted shoes from Amazon and your sunglasses 10% off. Like, you want to know when there's a medical conference where they're talking about X product and, you know, different early adoption. Yes, you do. You do want to know these things because your feed is overloaded and you want to have the content that you want to see. Unless you're just using social media to keep up with like your cousins and nephews, like I don't think anyone should be opting out at all. Um, if you want to stay in a place where you're receiving relevant content, like this should be kept on. Now, I understand why Apple's doing it, but this, the challenge isn't to get our brands like, you know, on top of it, it's just to make sure everywhere at every angle, all of the ducks are in a row. And then with that, you can now only track eight different events, you know, coming from the pixels on Facebook and Instagram, which actually it, that's not that big of an issue. When you talk about an event, like, what does that mean? That means, you know, if you were visiting a website for, you know, um, glasscups.com, and you went on there and you viewed content, that's an event. You know, you clicked buy now, that's an event. So you can define eight of these now. Well, before it was kind of limitless and I could make a million of them and then put them in different campaigns. So brands need to make sure that they're adapting their marketing to identify what is most important. Like actually, like what are your, what are you trying to get them to do? What's your high value actions in the end game here? What new KPIs have you or your teams adopted in the past six, 12 months? What's the logic behind them? And do you see them continuing? That's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say that we have anything new. It's just how we've been prioritizing KPIs. So when you're looking at, it's always a question, right? What are the KPIs we should be looking at? 
but there's a question that comes before it. What are your objectives? What are you trying to do? Because if you're trying to drive traffic, your KPI, you know, you need to be measuring link clicks, cost per click, and looking at the click-through rate, right? And your quality score. If your main objective is you've got a brand new product and you're trying to educate about it, your objective should probably be first awareness. So you need to look at your impressions, your cost per impression. And then you also, adjacent to that, need to be doing engagement and cost per engagement. So at the same time, and followers and cost per follower. So there's always that question before the question. So every time someone's like, what is the KPIs? I'm like, what's, what's the objective? And then you organize based on that. Um, what I have definitely noticed, which is something that's trending right now for some of our clients in the new product space, product comes out, gets approval, you know, websites up, product launched, um, focusing on building engagements, measuring your cost per engagement, and then focusing on building followers and your cost per follower with very, very good targeting is going to bring your brand sentiment up. If you do this backwards and you try to push traffic first you're, and your comments are on, you're going to get all of these nasty comments, miseducation. People don't know the product yet. They don't trust the T-R-U-S-T. It's not there. So you have to build trust and to build trust, you have to build those followers, that engagement, that power first, and then you can go into the other KPIs um, and measure those for effectiveness. So, I mean, that's something that kind of should always be focused on in, in, in whatever order your objectives are, to be honest with you. Um, right now, because of, of what I just talked about a moment ago, we have to be conscious of the, over the next 30 to 60 days for anyone running traffic campaigns. We need to be conscious of if that cost per click is going to start to go up. And if it is, we better pivot. And so we've got to change content. We've got to have other things in the queue. We've, pre, you know, we've done a lot of pre-design of polls, uh, even polls within videos um, to try to be ahead of that a little bit. So yeah, if KPIs, identify them based on your objectives. But those are like the top four to, to really be looking at as well. No one trusts the brand without followers. No one trusts the product without engagement. We'll be back after a quick message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Jess Campbell from the Association of Medical Media. I'm thrilled you're listening to this episode of our regular podcast series, AMM Conversation. A key pillar of the AMM's mission is to provide a forum for sharing thoughts, ideas, and best practices. That's why, along with this podcast, the AMM is pleased to host a number of other resources located on our website, ammonline.org. These include our new podcast series, John Lochran Viewed Your Profile, and member resources located within our knowledge exchange, such as our Medical Media Matters fact sheets, CHC policy updates, and AMM Conversation special reports. Check out these resources, become a member of the Association of Medical Media, and keep an eye out for information regarding our annual Nexus Awards planned for June 15th by visiting ammonline.org. Joining me now is Brad Einerson, Head of Social Strategy at Click Health, the largest independent commercialization partner for the pharma, biotech, and medtech industries. Brad has led the social media team and social strategy at Click since 2012. His team is growing, focuses on social strategy, and works closely with the activation strategy team. What's been the biggest challenge with clients during this period? I think the biggest challenge with clients, um, it's not the meetings, it's not the Zoom, it's not the projects. It's um, getting that content uh, or that 
getting that contact with their content producers. So let's say you're marketing uh, with some KOLs and you need those KOLs to talk about the brand. Well, you can't fly them to a place and do a video anymore. So we've done things like sent ring lights and cameras to, you know, to the KOLs, have them do the video themselves and then do the editing in-house afterwards. So that, that actually works surprisingly well. Um, also, you can't show up in trade shows anymore, right? Congresses. Um, so we've helped clients uh, migrate to virtual congresses uh, using those tools. Um, and also we've helped our clients communicate around those congresses because we found early on um, the, the meetings were, were having like five times more Twitter content around those hashtags than they did in pre-pandemic times. So, um, you know, if you, went, if you had 20,000 Twitter mentions around a conference, it's now 100,000 plus. It, it kind of flipped the script a little bit, right? Like there was activity still going on. We needed to figure out what it was and how we're going to leverage it, right? It absolutely did. Um, ASCO had been digitizing for a while, but ASCO is huge, right? Um, the smaller congresses and meetings, they're now digitizing and they're now seeing um, their conversations skyrocket. You know, so along those same lines, what are some of the biggest opportunities coming out of this pandemic? Um, the biggest opportunities um, are online of, along the lines of virtual congresses with that 5x, you know, 10x more, more social commentary. Um, also, it's that movement of sales rep details from in-person to virtual. Uh, that's a huge opportunity that was that was starting before the pandemic. And so not only the in-person to virtual rep details, uh, but the virtual MSL as well has become really important um, because a sales rep can only say the same message to a, a NHCP so many times. Mm -hmm. And the tolerance is much lower online than it is in the hallway of the hospital or the clinic. So the virtual MSL is a huge benefit um, for those reps who need a reason to talk to their HCP. Yeah, interesting. And you know, you said you started the social strategy department at Click in 2012. You've, you know, you've had a nice run here. What, who amongst HCPs have you found are the early adopters of social? There's two layers to this. So one layer is sort of the receptive layer or the, you know, the HCPs is an audience layer. So that, that's the, that comes from the mantra of HCPs are people too. They're on these social platforms at the same or above uh, the average audience. So Facebook's a good platform and Twitter's a good platform and things like this. So that's a place to get your message out in front of that audience. When it comes to actually engaging though, what we see is Twitter, of course, for news, but in terms of the more, I don't know, the, the more engaging or interactive platforms like TikTok, that's where you see like pediatricians, right? And GPs and folks like that who maybe have a younger audience and they know their audience is there and they want to educate them. And that's where you have the them with their little dances and you know, talking about vaccines or, or sexual health or other things. Yep. Um, they, you know, if you if you move away from physicians a bit towards nurses, then you have the whole nurse nurse fluencer uh, movement, which was starting in 2019. Uh, Hootsuite had had an article in 2019 about that. And MM&M has talked about it as well uh, in 2020 where you know they've got scrubs and they've got products and they're they're talking about them on Instagram and, and Snapchat 
Um, and those nurse influencers can be can be quite powerful as well in their voices. You know, technology has really filled a void, um, especially for like in-person meetings. Um, what have been the, the positives of the technology? And then if we can also talk about potential some of the some of the negatives, the pros and the cons of the technology during this time. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so as I was saying before, we have the technology gives us the opportunity to get those messages in front of HCPs um, because they're on social platforms at an accelerated rate or, or a deeper rate, just like the rest of the uh, of of the uh, market. And also early in the pandemic, we also saw open rates on emails going way up. Um, so that, you know, it's not just social, but it's also email and other channels. Um, and those, those message opportunities are opportunities for connection. So um, those are opportunities for getting messages in front of the HCPs and then providing them opportunities to connect back to the rep. You know, maybe there's a rep finder on the website. Maybe we already know what region you're in, so we know what who your rep is. So we can remind the HCP, hey, if you do have a question, we have answers, you know, talk to us, just hit this button, make it as easy as possible. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be a heavy lift. So if you're, you know, most brands at this point are doing uh, consumer social, right? Mm -hmm. Most most brands. Um, and if you have a consumer platform already, you can layer in your HCP ads on that platform because your ads are experienced one at a time. You don't, you know, you don't have to put them directly on the consumer platform. So those consumer platforms can carry those HCP ads. You can get to your target market and you can get in front of the right people. For example, we we see numbers like 34% in terms of a match rate on Facebook. So if I have a if I have a sign up email list uh, with both professional and personal emails, often the lists are 50-50. If yeah. I do see that, we have a pretty good match rate on these social platforms for, for getting in front of those folks. And it's interesting we talk about Facebook. <laughs> uh, when I when I start talking to people about social, we're starting to get away from Facebook, right? But uh, you know, it still is sort of that gold standard because of the ability to match so such a high percentage, right? Yeah, and you have to remember, Facebook is also Instagram, right? Yeah, right. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I write the ClickWire uh, every week, and um, so I, you know, we've got twelve stories out there every week, and. And I have to tell you, it's still a Facebook first world. Every time I look at the data, it's, you know, they still have the reach and the frequency uh, to get that inventory for marketers who just who just need it. There are obviously other platforms. Um, and those yeah. other platforms are great secondary and tertiary plays, uh, but it's still a Facebook first world. So far, that's changing. And you've already talked about this a little bit, but it sounds like Click Health has embraced the power of influencers. Influencers are valuable because they're they're a trusted voice who speaks on your behalf. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, the audience already knows that. Um, and on both the HCP side and the patient side, they carry a lot of um, authenticity uh, and in some cases authority, especially with the HCPs. Uh, those digital opinion leaders are um, are a huge benefit to brands. So there's there's a couple of elements to this. One is finding the DOLs. So, you know, we've, we, we do a lot of listening engagements uh, where you literally start with 20,000 individuals and you funnel them down using a scorecard to maybe a sing, like single digits of DOL individuals for any given condition. Um, 
And we often find that KOLs are also DOLs, but then there's the hidden ones, the DOLs who weren't KOLs before, who have really built this digital um, profile. Uh, and uh, those are great to find because those are hidden treasures. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about the patient side at all, um, but on the patient side, influencers carry a lot of weight as well. And there's three layers to that conversation. The first one is, you can get into market with influencers very easily using an influencer agency. That's sort of the, the crawl level. Or you can roll your own using clear and, and talking to them directly. And that's sort of the walk level. And then at the run level, you've got campaigns where you look for hand raisers and you engage those, those patients as hand raisers. And that's at that point, you're almost taking patient testimonials and merging it with influencers. And that's super powerful. I was talking to, you know, social media marketers from, you know, AstraZeneca and uh, Ibsen and um, Glaxo a couple of weeks ago. They're, I think, episode three of the season. And, you know, they, they admit that, you know, pharma's a couple of years behind consumer trends. But, you know, just like everything else, give it two, three, four years. Those trends will make their way into B2B or HCP focused marketing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's... um Pharma is a bit behind. It always has been because of the regular regulation, um, but it's not consistently behind. Different brands um, have different profiles. Um, some brands try and act much more like CPG, uh, and some brands are much more conservative and, and want to convey that trustworthiness and, and sort of that HCP style of marketing. Let's explore some uh, success stories. you have any, uh, I hope you've dug up a couple of good successful HCP focused social multimedia campaigns you got anything for me yeah so i can't talk about individual brands obviously um but we we've got a number of hcp campaigns that have proven very effective so we uh we've gone to congresses um and targeted individuals now this was 2019 so we targeted individuals based on location uh and hashtags uh plus you know custom custom uploaded lists and those, that targeting really, really worked well and got us a huge match rate um, on, on those ads. And so interestingly, when we were doing Congresses, the experiment we did, because Congresses with Twitter is a sort of a known play, right? Right. Yep. Get on Twitter, you're on people's phones, you know, come and see us at location X or come and see our, our data. Um, but then we also used Facebook. And what we found was Facebook was as effective as Twitter. Facebook was more awareness and top funnel and Twitter was, was better at lower funnel triggering action. So around Congresses, that was, that was really good. Um, also, I mentioned before um, that match rate of emails. Um, right. I recommend, you know, all marketers should at least try this. If you just take your CRM email list try creating a custom audience on Facebook, see what your match rate is. And then that can actually be a good indicator or, or a good input into how you want to approach Facebook for HCP marketing. Absolutely. 100% recommend that. Earlier you said you've, you know, you've expanded during, you know, you expanded your social team. You know, you seem to be heavily invested in talent acquisition for multimedia social. What's the philosophy and, and, and long-term strategy there? I would love to take credit for the growth, um, but to be honest, I can't. Uh, it's the market. Um, clients at 
you know, clients on brands are moving from their experimental stage, which was somewhere around 2014 to 2018, mm-hmm. into a phase where they had social in most of their plans, even if it was either zero, we, we considered it but didn't do it, or it was just an experiment, and that's from like 2018, 2019, to a defined percentage of their spend. And that was what we were seeing in 2020. Now it's not, do we do social? It's, do we do 5%, 10%, 15% of our budget on social? So that growth on the client side dictates that we have to grow our team to stay ahead of of the need. Do you uh, foresee any opportunities? Let's outside of social for a second, multimedia wise, I've, you know, telehealth, EMR space, the golden goose, potentially medical education, where somewhere like your team can kind of like, you know, crossover. Are any of those other targets, uh, other spaces targets for you? So 100% they are. Um, The way we approach it uh, from a social strategy perspective is that um, these folks like telemedicine, for example. So telemedicine skyrocketed at the beginning of 2020. Uh, And it is, you know, it's slowed down a bit, but it's certainly not going back to the near zero numbers it was in 2019. And so that telemedicine activity, we consider that as being, quote, closer to digital, unquote, than you would be if you were in the office. I mean, consider a patient sitting across the desk from a doctor. That conversation is very analog. Now you've got a patient and a doctor on Zoom or some other screen, and the doctor can now share links. So if the doctor knows that there's patient materials available one click away, the you know the doctor can share that in the chat and the and the patient can get it right away. Um, they're not going to sit there and do a, a co-browsing session with the patient. I mean, they don't have time for that, but they can at least inform the patient about these materials. And we all know doctors love patient materials. Anything that gets the patient educated without their staff having to do it, they love that. So having those materials. Yeah. Yeah. Having those materials available for them uh, is super important. You talked earlier about, um, you know, no more hesitation from pharma when it comes to social media in their planning. I've talked to pharma reps and, and agencies. They're seeing a cultural shift and acceptance from social media just being this, you know, you know, toy box kind of thing to the impact that it can really make. Are you seeing that cultural shift both internally and ex- externally also? Yes, we are. Clients are recognizing um, how important social is becoming and is moving from an experiment to a percentage of, of budget. Um, we have some clients who are now social first, um, not for HCPs. They're, you know, right. We're not there yet for HCPs. Right. So they're social first for, for patients, but that, that pulls along more HCP activity for sure. Um, and as, as both doctors and reps get more comfortable on these platforms, communications can happen in those direct messaging channels between the reps and the, and the doctors. And that's a growth area, um, that we need to watch over the next couple of years as, as people have become more acclimatized to these tools, they're going to use them more and they're going to be more accepting of those uh, messages. Yeah, I think the marketing term for that is those blue jeans moments, right? That and uh, you know a couple others have said we're calling them prosumers now, professional and consumer all in one because everything's on your smartphone. It's all mixed. You got all your email, personal, professional, right? Social. So um, it it is, 
you know, evolving to all be one marketing stream, right? Yeah. And I think, I think what marketers should take away from that, from that prosumer, um, patient, healthcare worker uh, model, what they should take away from it is you need an authentic reason to speak. Um, a rep telling the doctor the same information three times might work in a clinic hallway, especially if the doctor has a fun story or is has some samples. It's not going to work online. Um, you need a, a unique uh, and different reason to speak every time. Um, and that's where that's where the creative teams uh, are super important because they they can come up with new and innovative ways to bring the data forward uh, to help the doctors make the right decision. Uh, what emerging trend do you want to continue once we're back to, uh, let's call it, a, or once we're in a post-pandemic world? So from a marketing strategy standpoint, the trend that will continue, whether I want it to or not, is going to be the usage of social uh, in healthcare for both patients and HCPs. That's absolutely going to continue. Um, and that the model of what percentage of budget should we devote to social, that new way of, of deciding on investment, that's that will definitely continue. What are you most excited about for HCP social media, multimedia trends emerging in the next two to five years? We're in the we're in the period now where we're proving the value of those messages on those platforms. I'm excited for the next level, which is that engagement and communication. So almost community management for doctors. Um, you can think of it as the fourth wall where you're you're authentically talking with your audience. And so if a doctor needs an MSL, they can ping the Twitter handle or they can ping, um, you know, maybe Facebook, probably not Snapchat or TikTok right away, um, but they can ping us on the social platform and we can get yeah. the right answer to yeah. them in, in, in a short amount of time. What's uh, one thing a medical marketers need to know about social media and how HCPs are engaging on it? For, uh, for medical marketers, um, the HCPs on social have two modes. So you said blue jeans mode. Um, we often talk about lean back, lean in. So customize your messaging for the lean back audience on say uh, Instagram or Facebook, and then have a different message for your lean forward audience who's on Twitter looking for data. For our membership, what's one thing you think that they should do in the next week to 30 days? So I'm gonna cheat a bit on this answer. Um, so in the next week to 30 days, um, I would say review your plans and make sure that social is a line item, even if it's zero, because that that's a great trigger to, to make you think about it on every planning cycle. Um, and then I, I would say, look to your audience um, and see where they are um, and see how they're engaging. So do a listening engagement um, and include things like Reddit, uh, Twitter, um, maybe some of the professional platforms, if you have doctors on, on site that can do that, uh, and uh, Facebook. See where they're engaging and and determine for yourself, for your own brand, if it makes sense to put a few messages up and, and test the response. So Brad, how can our listeners subscribe to the ClickWire? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, so the ClickWire, you can get to by going to click.com slash ClickWire, or you can have one of your friends forward you a copy, and in the top, there's a sign-up link. That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation. 
Thanks for listening. AMM Conversation is the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. This episode ends season four of the podcast. Make sure to listen to each and every episode of AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The best way to know when season five drops is by subscribing to the podcast. In the meantime, kindly leave us a comment, follow or share. We appreciate the engagement. Also make sure to check out the AMM website, www.ammonline.org for the latest information and resources on medical media. In addition to fact sheets, industry research, and special reports, you can watch my monthly healthcare policy update featuring Beltway Insider John Bigelow or the new YouTube series, John Lochran Viewed Your Profile, all available on AMM's new YouTube channel. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.
That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation. Thanks for listening. AMM Conversation is the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. This episode ends Season 4 of the podcast. Make sure to listen to each and every episode of AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The best way to know when Season 5 drops is by subscribing. The best way to know when Season 5 drops is by subscribing to the podcast. In the meantime, kindly leave us a comment, follow, or share. We appreciate the engagement. Also make sure to check out the AMM website, www.ammonline.org, for the latest information and resources on medical media. In addition to fact sheets, industry research, and special reports, you can watch my monthly healthcare policy update featuring Beltway Insider John Bigelow, or the new YouTube series, John Lochran Viewed Your Profile, all available on AMM's new YouTube channel. Have a wonderful day. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.